Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership keyboardist and composer Sam Carter who is best known for his work with one of the greatest funk bands ever, Slave, as well as its offshoot group, Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. Carter, who often collaborated with his horn-playing brother, Charles, contributed to such seminal albums as Slave's Showtime in 1981, which has just been reissued, and Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame 1983 debut. The former included classic songs like Snapshot and Wait For Me, while the latter included top-tier tracks like Way Out, Nobody Can Be You But You, and one of my all-time favorite jams, Week at the Knees. Coming from a jazz-oriented foundation, Sam Carter recorded with Slave through 1990 and later transitioned to working in education. Sam, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you Good. for joining us. Much appreciated. Good. Where are you today? I'm in Ohio, at home. Uh. I get to work remotely in these days, oh. thanks uh -huh. to technology. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad for that. It got you well prepped for what we're doing today. So, Right. Yeah. Um, and you're from originally uh, a Dayton area or where are you from? I, I'm originally from the Dayton area. I'm in, I'm in what's called Clayton, which is north 
west of Dayton, not far. Same vicinity. Okay. So you grew up in that hotbed of uh, funk and R&B and, you know, where they say it's in the water or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of music uh, here. Didn't think of it as being abnormal growing up. It really didn't because everybody was kind of doing it. We just thought that was a thing to do. Uh, as you can probably see my my siblings are in the background, all those pictures. Uh, my mom had us all play music. It was just something you did. Uh, when you got in the second grade, mom said, you got to pick an instrument. You're going to learn how to play music. And uh, it was her way of getting us uh, probably to calm down and quit bouncing off the walls. Uh, but also uh, she thought it was uh, good for our minds. And, and just it was helped us culturally to to learn music. So we we learned. All of us played. We learned to read. Uh, a few of us played in the Junior Philharmonic Orchestras. I did. Uh, so. So you had some formal schooling, musically. I did, as far as as growing up. Yeah, read. I could read uh, percussions. You know, timpanis. Uh, uh, all percussive instruments, you know, uh, whatever you need. Of course, the charts for the drums are different, but the charts for playing like uh, marimbas or a xylophone are the same as normal uh, 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 G-clef uh, uh, instruments and uh, G-clef uh, reading or writing. So, yeah, so we learned that growing up. And how many siblings were there in total besides yourself and Charles? Uh, it was six of us total. My oldest brother played trumpet. The next brother down played. My my sister was next. She played violin. Uh, then I have a brother that played trombone. And then uh, I played drums and, and, and piano. And my brother, Charles, who we... A lot everybody calls him Sedell. He plays uh, uh, woodwinds and keyboards, and our baby sister also played violin. Wow! So, how close were the ages? Because I'm thinking it must have been a beautiful noise in that household with you guys. Kept <laughs> 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 my dad at the golf course. <laughs> so yeah, the age range we we were. Uh, I think it would have been more like all of us were born within a 10-year to 11-year range. So mom and dad were through having kids uh, in their early 30s because uh, they started out as young people, you know, in that day, be 20 and 19 and that kind of thing. And then they started having a family, raising a family. So what kinds of, uh, you know, I, I know you had some jazz influence. Uh, can you talk to about uh, to us about, you know, what really inspired you musically early on? Uh, uh, musically, I kind of liked everything. Um, kind of had an eclectic ear all my life. But one of the things that uh, my brother and I liked was dad playing uh, his favorite records. 
And uh, he has he liked uh, the classical uh, jazz record released by Dave Brubeck, uh, album with Take Five, uh, with Paul Desmond, Joe Morello on drums. Uh, that was just that was good stuff. So we grew up li listening to that, uh, and it's, and Dad liked everything with that. It went as far as in their in that day most advanced. Uh, I guess, uh, as far as music technology would have been Eddie Harris with the electric saxophone. So dad had stuff like that and we liked it. So we, we kind of got a good, and, and, and everybody was listening to James Brown, <laughs> you know. Do you remember uh, going to a, a show, maybe your first show where you were really, you know, blown away by seeing somebody actually perform on yeah. stage? Yeah. And it was James Brown. Uh, my brother and I, we uh, got a chance to get out and go. We were young people, man. And uh, we went to see James Brown at Memorial Hall. It, 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 people that have seen him know what I'm talking about. Uh, but imagine you when you see that for the first time. And you got to understand, James Brown was in his backyard when he was in Memorial Hall in Dayton, Ohio, because he recorded in King's studio in Cincinnati. So a lot of a lot of people knew who he was. That's where he picked up Bootsy and his brother from in Cincinnati, because he spent a lot of time in Cincinnati. So when he came to Dayton, he came in to, to just blow it out and rock it. I, I, I was so clean and entertaining and tight it, it was and we were like kids man so we were like it was nothing we could say we just it was mind-numbing <laughs> as far as seeing him uh do that and and play like that but then i i saw i saw some jazz guys that kind of did the same thing uh the first time i saw him too so but that was my first concert, live concert, was uh, James Brown. At what point did you think, uh, hey, you know, maybe I want to pursue this as what I do? Never. Never, never crossed my mind. Hmm. Never set it up as a goal. I know that's weird. Hmm. I, I didn't just happened it just happened i just went on an adventure I, I left i left dayton with uh a theater ensemble i was actually doing uh, acting and we left and went to uh washington dc and I, like i said i dropped out of college and uh and it, and it got exciting washington was jumping uh, I, I ended up playing uh, drums and acting, but uh, there were a lot of uh, different artists in D.C. at the time. Um, uh, 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 Donald Burge was teaching over at Howard, so you had the Blackbirds there. Uh, Alan Barnes, who's passed away in uh, recent years, played with the Blackbirds, a very good friend of mine. Um, and 
it just was a very happening place. So I ended up, it, it never, I didn't plan to play, but it was like a, a good way to get food. So, <laughs> so that's how we ate, man. I met Alan. Uh, I ended up uh, meeting uh, Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. And Brian Jackson and I uh, uh, became good friends. And so Brian Jackson played keyboards. Alan Barnes, a sax player. So uh, we, we'd uh, get together. Uh, 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 another good friend of mine, Delbert Taylor, who I enticed to come and play with us with Slave. Uh, he's passed too, man. I'm at that age. But uh, Alan Barnes, myself, uh, Delbert Taylor, uh, Brian Jackson, and a guy by the name of Sigmund Dillard, Siggy. We just would play a lot of clubs because it was, like I said, you know, got to eat. So the more you did that, you did it. So and I, and I, and I just kind of ended up doing it and ended up being music man. And again, not as a a, a final or an end goal or a dream, uh, just something that came up, whatever the next thing was, man. And and it ended up being music. And, and Sam, you're playing mostly uh, percussion or keys with them, or what? I was playing mostly drums in DC. So uh, a lot of jazz and uh, and a lot of uh, it, it was wide open because we we played everywhere. We played everywhere from uh, uh, elementary schools, high schools, uh, uh, universities, uh, uh, course regular concert places, and uh, having no. Uh, real walls on what I wanted to do musically. I ended up knowing a lot of guys that did different music and ended up doing different music. We kind of did a lot of experimental things. I knew guys like uh, uh, Clifford Jarvis. Nobody, I mean, one of the most ridiculous drummers that ever walked the face of the earth. Uh, but Clifford Jarvis used to play with uh, Sun Ra. Uh, who people? A lot of people don't know who it, but a your music, a musicologist, you know who Sun Ra. I, well, I just had Michael Ray on, uh, who played with Sun Ra from the late seventies onwards. So. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he knows who Clifford Jarvis was, and Clifford Jarvis just taught me some stuff and just blew my head open. And uh, so it, it was, it was like that in D.C. Uh, a lot of stuff was going on. Everybody was there. I mean. <laughs> Everybody was there. Uh, 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 a lot of actors that you see in in uh, Hollywood now were there because a lot of them was, were part of the the, uh, the DC repertory uh, theater, which was run by Robert Hooks. Well, I also recently had Tawatha Ajian, and she also went to Howard, and you know was in that whole scene. So she was talking about so many of the great on the musical side and acting, you know, just came from that. such a hotbed of talent. Incredible. It, in the seventies, it was smoking. It was smoking. And, uh, uh, it was just nothing to see some of the, uh, uh it was just a lot of music opportunities. So, uh, I had, to, I had opportunities to play with a, a lot of people. What, uh, what, what year range are we talking? Is it the mid seventies or, uh, mid to late seventies going into the eighties. So, 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 so like Barnes was already successful through the Blackbirds and Brian Jackson had already done a lot of stuff with Gil Scott Aaron. Uh, exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. And uh, uh, so, but yeah, and everybody uh, did some stuff. I played with a, a few people there that uh, had recorded. Uh, um, it was another guy. Um, gosh, I'm telling my age. Not remember. Oh gosh, um, he was. He used to do the vocals with us a lot, uh, and he played Jesus. He played in Jesus Christ Superstar. You're not going to know who I'm talking about. Vocalist. He was. Uh, he played Judas. Uh, Carl Anderson. Carl. Carl. Yeah. So Carl was would would be seeing vocals with us. And, uh, dude, it was so much. I remember doing a concert with Carl. He was singing vocals. Uh, uh, same lineup I mentioned. Uh, and we were doing a, a concert at the Smith, uh, Smithsonian Institute. And it was for Simone. Uh, Simone uh, she was a piano player. She ended up singing. Uh, Nina Simone. Nina. Yeah. Dude, man, you know, I should have got a, I should have, it's late in the day, man. My brain only works in the morning. That's all right. We'll help each other through this. Yeah. But <laughs> Nina Simone, man, it was a, 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 a celebration of her life and her music. And uh, it was incredible. You know, we had an orchestra and all that, but we were the rhythm section. And it was weird, you know, who the uh, uh, the reception band was. We went downstairs after we played with Nina Simone. The reception band was the Headhunters, Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters. Whoa. So, uh, yeah, I dig it, right? <laughs> so we're like, I go downstairs after we play and got in, and I hear this glorious sound kicking up from downstairs. And all these colors were just swirling out. And I, I'm like, oh, man, my jaw's dropping. I'm like, dude, y'all should have been upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was a lot going on. I remember being there for the first uh, Human Kindness Day when they started doing that in D.C. And I was there when they celebrated with uh, Stevie Wonder uh, for Human Kindness. And... Uh, uh, he came to uh, one of our presentations. Uh, uh, he enjoyed it. He had fun. He wanted to play. So he got up and played, played to play the piano and junk. So uh, it was just a jumping. DC was jumping, man. Mm. It was jumping. Yeah, man. Incredible. So how did you end up, uh, you know, getting connected to the back reconnected sort of to the Dayton scene musically ah uh, the Dayton scene I ended up going up to New York New York I ended up in Ohio for a little while working in television uh directing uh and uh then I was like man I packed my drums and stuff in the car and drove to New York uh my my brother Charles Sedell was uh uh going to Berkeley. Matter of fact, he had finished at Berkeley and he was in New York doing horn arrangements and things for Slave. I didn't know him in Dayton. I really did. I, I left so early. They weren't even a band when I left. Mm -hmm. 
uh, so I ran into them up there and uh, uh, they were uh, doing a rehearsal, uh, uh, getting ready to do some recording. And then I came over and uh, uh, the previous uh, piano player had just left and went back to Dayton. And I, uh, I spent so much time with good piano players. Uh, I kind of knew a little bit around them. And so it set in and helped them out a little bit while they were rehearsing. And they said, man, uh, you need to play with us, do some recording and all that. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm really a drummer, man. I, I don't know. Nah, I'm good. They said, no, nah, man, really, you know. And then, then they said, look, this is the retainer. And I knew what a retainer was. <laughs> that was a good thing to have in New York, right? I said, a retainer. What a retainer. Keep, keep food on the table. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's regular income. This is what we're going to do if you don't do nothing else but be available for us. I got you on that. I know what a retainer is. So they told me what the retainer would be. And then you get this to rehearse. You get this to play. We're going to pay this to go on the road. Yeah, you get your royalties. I said, well, I guess I can play piano. <laughs> what, what year was that? Oh, dude. You know, uh, if you had to. Yes. It was in the it was in the late 70s. 78, maybe. Yeah, close to that. 78, 79. Whenever before before uh we did showtime. Yeah, so maybe we, we were rehearsing the tour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I've I neglected to ask you though, um before that, before you went to uh DC, uh before you left Ohio in the first place, and you were coming up, did you get much exposure to folks like the Ohio players or um, you know, some of those other local uh bands that were yeah, 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 yeah. I knew who Di I knew Diamond before he was with the players because he played with my cousin, who's a bass player, uh uh in a band called the Overnight Low. And my cousin is Hollis uh Melson, who was the bass player for that band. Uh and I knew him because he was in a marching uh drum marching group. And uh the rest of them, you know, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of them. I, I saw the, I, I tell you where I ran into the players more frequently, though, was in D.C. That's ironic. Yeah. Be, well, I ended up playing with older guys from Dayton uh, when I was in D.C. Uh, 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 what was one of the horn players? His brother played for New Birth. Uh, was a guitar player with New Birth. And uh, he could play sax. He was a jazz sax player. And uh, he I, he knew uh, Sat, uh, uh, Satch, and he knew, uh, uh, I think, uh, Pee Wee. So when they came to D.C., they connected. And we all lived in this, we had this big brownstone that we lived in. And I remember when the players came through there and connected back. And another brother by the name of uh, Ben Wilson, who is a, a, a master percussionist and drummer, uh, played uh, 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 the vibes for us. They all knew him. And they came through and they pulled out this tape that they wanted this, uh, everybody to hear. And they put this tape on. It was slamming. 
didn't have any vocals on it yet. They said it was just a rough mix of what they had. And I heard uh, uh, Skin Tight without the vocals. Wow. And it was like, <laughs> that's some nice stuff. You get. <laughs> yeah, That's kind of, that's some nice stuff. And uh, then when they put, when I heard it get put out by Mercury and you hear everything they put on it, it was like, man, y'all, y'all, they on their way. They're on their way. So yeah. I, I, if you, if the people that came through DC that were from Dayton, I, I knew other than that, if you didn't play in, uh, in the marching band at school or the junior Philharmonic orchestra, I didn't run into you because I, I left so young. I, I got to mention though, Sam, I did come across, um, you know, something that was new to me and just uh, looking up your, your background a bit, um, you know, that, there was a record Malone and Barnes and spontaneous simplicity that um, came out in 76 that you have a, uh, you played on, right? I don't know. I you're, did some, I did some record. Yeah. yeah. You're on there. It's called uh freedom serenade. It's and, probably, and it's probably from uh, something that, Oh gosh. Uh, Jimmy. Blackfire, was it Blackfire Productions or Blackfire Records? Um, says Humpin' International Records. Maybe they re-released or something, I don't know. But it's but it probably re-released. It has all those cats on it that you mentioned, though. It has, uh, you know, Barnes, it's got Brian Jackson, it has uh, uh, Delbert. They're mm -hmm. all credited on there along with you. And Ah, uh, that's something that uh, Alan did. Now I remember, Alan Barnes. Yeah. That was that was Alan Barr's project. It's some nice, some nice, uh, you know, R&B jazz on there. You know, yeah, I don't, man. You know, you talking, you going back some years. You know, yeah, I did sessions and I don't, I don't remember all of them. Well, it's just, it was a nice discovery for me and for listeners and, and viewers of this. Uh, it's worth checking out from '76. Yeah, and I can tell everybody that's an Alan Barnes project. Cool. Yeah. So shift back to New York, um, Sam. And, you know, who was uh, leading a slave at that point? Because, you know, so many people came through the slave organization. And was, was Steve Washington still there? Or had he yet moved on? Or uh, Steve Washington had moved on. Uh, uh, Mark Adams was the band leader uh, at that time. So what was your early impressions of him, you know, as a as a talent and just what was he like he was good he was a good guy he was a good kid you know he he could play he was unique uh he was young though you know from dayton uh but to be honest with you uh uh the raw talent that those guys had in terms of being creative was was really exceptional and you can tell when you listen to some of their music, the way it's structured and where they play with each other. Uh, they always do music and write and tell a story. Uh, and I learned in music that if your music is not locking together, kind of where it's saying something and telling a story, and you're pretty much not playing music. Uh, and so they were able to do that. But they were they were a little younger than me. And hadn't been out as in as much as I had been in 
uh, uh, so it was kind of overwhelming for him in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and you had mentioned that you weren't necessarily, you know, that big of a funk fan is what I got a sense of. You're leaning a little more towards jazz and maybe. Um, so, um, well, I, I, how, how, I, I, no, I like, I like funk. Okay. I just didn't, that wasn't my, that, that wasn't my, uh, uh, bread and butter till later. I like it and I like it a lot. But I, what I don't like is the confines that are placed on it uh, when it comes to uh, marketing and, and having to play. And, and I'm not necessary to, I'm not a guy where I have extreme crazy content, crazy lyrics where you're calling women out their name and just all kind of crazy stuff where you, you, know, you just promote foolishness. But I'm talking about the creative content or the creative things that you could do with jazz. In jazz, I could I could play the same song in the second set that I played in the first set, but play it differently. Mm. You, you were you have freedom, you were open. Uh you can interchange and play with other guys, and you don't have that freedom with funk because uh marketed funk because when you play people want to hear it like the album they want to hear just what they're at home spinning and so you weren't going to do any improv on top of it you weren't going to change how it flowed it just wasn't going to happen but with jazz you could do that yeah and and, and probably some of that is due uh <clears throat> Not all of the funk players knew music. They knew what how to play what they played, but they didn't know enough music to uh, to say, "I'm gonna hey, let's change this up, let's do this, let's play." You could talk and then go do it. With jazz, you could do that. I remember I played a, a set with George Benson. Uh, uh, his band was uh, held up on the turnpike, couldn't get, we, but we played, we played at uh, uh, George Washington University and we had opened up for him and his band hadn't gotten there and everybody came to see George and they were ready to start. And, but George would say, Hey man, I need you guys to play this first set with me. But he, he wasn't complicated cause everybody that was in the band were musicians. And he said, well, look, we're going to play this. The drummer is going to have a funk feel. We're going to do this. We're going to do this other tune. I'm going to try to, you know, it's going to have more of a boss. So you do that, you know, he could talk about it. Then he'd go out there and count it off and we play. You can't, you couldn't do that with funk. Now you can just jam with funk, but you can't communicate about it musically before you do it with some funk players because they just didn't have the musical discussion, but they could funk now. I'm yeah. not going to undermine the fact that they couldn't play. Right. They, they could rock the, the joint down, but the, uh, it, it is, it's just a different thing. And of course, you know, around that time too, Sam, in the late 70s, you had so many jazz artists that were 
dipping their toes into funk, you know, so you had them coming together with George Duke and Herbie and you mentioned uh, so many of them, you know, we're, we're doing, doing some funk. I was going to mention George because George is the best jazz guy to ever dip his toe in it. Nobody's dipped their toe in it. Like George, I haven't heard it since nobody before nobody since because George Duke could pop it. He could, anybody bought in there, Christian McBride, those different guys. He had a man, that cat, George Duke. He could, he's, yeah. I love a lot of keyboards. I know about Herbie, how good he is and all that. And then, and, you know, Oscar Peterson, you can go on and there are a lot of piano players out there that are very good. But the one that hits my bone with his taste for playing uh, and his arranging, his musical. George Duke. George Duke for me. For me. Hands down. I understand. I totally yeah, understand. Dude. And he can then come back and play some Funkadelic stuff. Had a nerve to play Funkadelic and hey, pull it off. <laughs> pull it off. <laughs> it ain't like it sounded weak. It was like, dang. Of course, he had uh, the guy we were on tour with when we were out there with uh, George Clinton. He had, uh, who's the drummer, man? Dennis Chambers? Dennis! Dennis was playing with. Uh, uh, he's one of the best ever. Yeah, yeah, he was playing with the Funkadelic when we were all out on the road. And yeah. we were all on the same tour. But he also played with George Duke. And when George Duke did the uh, uh, Funkadelic tune, he had chambers playing the drums on that album hmm. so he, he had what it took he it was smoking yeah dennis chambers gosh yeah. dennis from baltimore there was a lot of good drummers from baltimore a lot of good funk guys from baltimore yeah yeah it was a lot of guys it's this guy who probably uh uh john bebs Nobody knows who he is. He probably, if he ever heard me, somebody say his name, he would say, dang, I got mentioned. Hmm. All of them from there. So jumping back to uh, the slave thing, uh, Showtime, the first record that you worked on with them, or did you do yeah. any recording before that? No, Showtime. Yeah. And we so- did, we did, a, we did, uh, man, you, I don't know how many th- Things we recorded, though. I mean, they could probably release two more albums, at least, mm. of things that we just recorded. What was what was the general process like of how that was put together? How could you describe it for us? Uh, it was the funk thing, man. You know, you, you uh, had ideas. Said, I hear, I got this idea. I like that. Let's see if we can build on it. You build on it. Uh, I like that. Build on it. Uh, say, you know, well, we, we, what, where are we going to go with it? Where is it going to go from here? How is it going to transition over? And how, how is it going to go out? How is it going to end? Wasn't complicated. And Steve Arrington what was your first impression of him? There's a guy who has a drumming and a, and a background and a jazz sensibility too. So you guys must've clicked. I would. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Steve, man, extremely gifted, extremely gifted. 
uh, of course, you know, uh, he, he transitioned into doing lead vocals. Uh, but uh, uh, he's a drummer. He's a drummer for sure. No, 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 no half stepping about it. He can, he can play all of it, not just the funk. He play all of it, the Latin field, the jazz, everything. Steve, Steve's a drummer. One of the most unique vocalists in the genre, for sure, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's he's. We come from uh, uh, the same type of thing in terms of. Uh, our affinity for jazz. So he's he's a drummer. He likes funk, uh, but his uh, uh, he likes Miles. He likes Thelonious Monk. He, <laughs> you know, you name it, he can do it. You know, uh, and he and he likes all those guys that play. I mean, he knows who they are. He can play what they. He can play what he likes. So yeah. He's like a historian too of on the music. So I just I love talking to that guy. Yeah. Um and I saw on the credits, Sam, you have a number of songwriting credits on Showtime. So uh what did you bring to the compositions? Um and specifically your your attached to Spice of Life, which is a more mellow track, Smoking and Funkin' Town, which are two of the really serious funk tracks on there. Mm-hmm. Do you remember anything specifically about my, you know. I probably got. To, I would look if you, the structures that you hear him uh, 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 harmonically. That's what I do. I I bring I, I bring it. I open it up. I uh, that's just what it is. I I put layers in where the colors are there. So it's it, you can you could actually do improv off of it, but of course we don't. Was it like spine tingling hearing some of those grooves for the first time, you know, come off the tape? Yeah, it was. Yeah, you like it. You know, you're doing some stuff and uh, it's good. You like it. Yeah, it's good. Spine tingling. (laughs) Well, some of those, I mean, yeah. uh, Yeah, it was good. You like it was good. When Mark, I, hit, when Mark hits some of those bass runs and, you know, when uh, Drac jumps in with some solos and, mm-hmm. I mean, it's something pretty special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say, I would not, yeah, it's definitely special. It's, it's good. I've, I've heard some tremendous players. <laughs> oh, no doubt. You mentioned a lot of them. Okay, so you're a little, you're a little desensitized, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not going to say what I'm doing is spine tingling. But I'm, <laughs> I heard some cats that will tingle you, tingle you from the from the bottom of your feet to the top of your skull, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got some funny stories about some stuff, man. You know, are you serious? I'm country boy from Dayton. I, I got up in D.C. and I ran into some players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how did it feel when you first heard something you did on the radio? Uh I it was it was cool. It was cool. I music I've heard different stuff prior to that, 
the first thing that I heard on the radio uh, that I did was uh, uh, radio theater because I used to produce uh, a radio theater show that came on on Saturday nights, uh, every Saturday at 10 o'clock. Uh, I did some acting in it as well, but and we had music and different stuff. So, uh, so by the time I heard some music on the air, it was kind of like, okay, it's a little different or something you're doing. Uh, and, and you got to look. Now, I'm not... I'm not trying to be, I just, just being honest with you. It just, it, it, I wasn't that smart to think much more than, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I actually heard some stuff that I said, ooh, <laughs> I should have played that different. You wouldn't, I'm just telling you how it's true. And it made me, oh man, I got some stuff on the radio. <laughs> it was like, Man, I could have played that differently. What well, was it? Was it fun to kind of uh, you know collaborate with your brother involved too? Oh yeah! It, listen, the 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 it is fun. That's now you're talking. Playing is the fun part. The listening to your radio. Da, da, da. The fun part of music is looking around and see your brethren that's playing with you. And you're talking together musically. Everybody's on the same page. And you know you're on the same page. And you look over at Dodge, Roger Parker, and Dodge is holding that pocket down like, and he's bopping it. Everybody in the court sits right on it, just right. And Adam's doing it, and it floats. And then you could actually uh, uh, move around and do a little, because when you're just jamming, oh, man, that's that's fun stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Now, we could end up with stuff that way, and we did a lot of recording like that. Uh, but uh, that's, that's, that's the fun, man. Yeah. Well, that's what I love so much, too, is being able to actually feel like I'm... Um, I mean, obviously I'm listening in, but actually experiencing some of that connection that's going on between the band members, you know, when, when you have that, that knowing look and you're responding in what you're doing on your instrument because of the other guys and what they're doing. And it's a, and it's a conversation that's not spoken. It's only played. Yeah. That's just so special. It's it's just special, man. And you get there, there, uh, there is no musical notation. You don't have, there are none to, to really, actually there are no musical notations on earth that can get you into the place of music. All, all musical notations can do is to point you in a direction of where that transcendent thing is sitting. I don't care what it is, if it's classical or whatever. All it does is point into the transcendent place. And if you're playing violin or what have you, you're playing the music, but it doesn't turn magical 
until you are full into it and you're all of it's right. And that can't be notated. Not never can. But it it definitely has its place to get you to look to where you're gonna step into. And once you step into it, and man, I've had some, I've been in some musical experiences with some uh, real players that uh, are uh, unspeakable because you're just like, where were we? <laughs> what was that? When, when that's happening, Sam, is anything going through your mind other than just living in the now and what's happening in, in, in that state? No. You're just riding with it. Yeah. And when it's right, whatever you emotionally express happens musically. There's no disconnect. Whatever you emotionally express happens musically. It, it's it's it, thinking and thinking like kind of drags it down it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing man uh and that's not saying some of the most brilliant thinking people are playing music and uh, a lot of jazz guys a lot of funk guys are great thinkers but there becomes a point in the music where you transcend that and you're and and you got to just be you got to be where that is to experience it uh that's when you got a good pocket you can uh that's what you're looking for when you want to lay down a pocket and a groove and, and and record and all that so there's much more to this great truth and rhythm interview just continue on to the next part of the episode also be sure to subscribe to this channel if you've already done so please share it with friends and become a member by joining truth and rhythm on patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.